0: is empty, we recognize the work that you have done, and Lord, I pray that we would we would just see you, to see you as a living God who is caring for us, who is provided for us, who, who loves us, and Lord, may we, as we listen to you, as you speak to us through your word, may we respond to you in a way that would honor and glorify you, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Please have a seat.
1: Okay, so today's passage is in Luke 10, 25-37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbors as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said to him, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise.
0: All right, thank you, Emily. All righty, before I get going, I want to say the kids can leave. They can head on down to Children's Church. And here's the here's the really fun part. I don't think I'm going to ever be able to say that without, like, remembering my first time not doing that. So there we go. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I do want to say thank you to... Uh, Uh, A couple people, I want to say thank you to Steve, um, to Julie, who's not here, she's not feeling well, and to Emily. um, Since I came here, they have jumped in and put up with me up here on stage, and I do a lot of things wrong up here. And I'm like, here's how I do it, and they're just like, okay, and and they have a great spirit and a great attitude. So thank you so much, guys, for um, singing with me, playing with me. Uh it, it really is a joy of mine to do that and so uh big big appreciation f- for you guys. All right, so uh, I do also want to mention um so I'm I'm still very new. I see some new faces out there. I don't know if you're new to the church or if you're just new to me. Um so this is my third week here. Um so thank you so much for uh coming here and seeing uh our church. Um, where sometimes I even get the name of the church wrong. Um it's actually funny. So I lived in Buffalo for four years, um, just about four years. So I'd been there two and a half years, uh, three years. Last Thanksgiving, uh, we, there was a community event um, that uh, I opened, and, and I gave uh, a little bit of an explanation of what was going on. And I said there, I'd lived in Casper most of my life. And I'd mentioned, like I'd lived in Buffalo for three years, and and I was like, yeah, here in Casper we do this, and uh, they they pointed that out to me. So anyway, I sometimes get the name of the church wrong, um, but we'll figure it out. Hopefully it doesn't take me three years to figure out the name of the church and get it right, but here we are. Um, so anyway, if you're if you're new here, um, there's a card in front of you, uh, hopefully in the row in front of you. It's just, if you could fill that out, there's a box in the back that's for our offering. Um, and those those of us that are a part of our church, we want to give back to God and the work that he's doing to grow his kingdom. And so that, that box is for our offerings to uh, further God's kingdom. Um, but if you're new here, if you could fill out that card and just drop it in that box on the, your way out, we'd just appreciate a record of your visit, and I'd love to reach out to you. Also, if you go here, uh, and I haven't ever met you yet, I'd love to meet you, so um, come catch me after the service. Um, so here we are in the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 10. It's a famous story, it's so famous that we talk about the Good Samaritan, and like our culture talks about Good Samaritans. We have ministries like, um, um, Samaritan's Purse and Samaritan Ministries, right? We have we have these things. And so for us, this, this word Samaritan, I think for even people who don't go to church or have never read scripture, um, there's still this idea of a Samaritan, oh, that's someone who helps somebody, right? That's someone who does good for other people. Uh, that's how we use this word. The Samaritan is the one who helps other people. And so uh, here's the thing. It didn't always mean that. And actually, the story we're reading is where that comes from. And so we kind of, before we go anywhere else in this book, in this story, I want us to just kind of stop, like clear our minds, right? When I say Samaritan, I don't want you to think of someone who stops and helps people. Now, I know we're going to see that, right? We just read that. We know that's what's going to happen. But for us to actually kind of understand what Jesus is talking about, we kind of have to get that out of our mind a little bit, okay? Because um, we're going to pretend like we're hearing Jesus say this, right? And and we want to understand it the way that people who heard Jesus would have understood it, okay? Does that make sense? Everyone following? So what is the Samaritan? So again, in our imagination, because we like to play this game all the time, um, in our imagination, we're Jewish people, we're living in the first century, we don't know it's the first century, I don't know what we dated days by back then, but you know, probably by someone's birthday, you know, and the moon or something, I don't know, I, I didn't live back then, but we're trying, we're imagining, right? So we're going to imagine what it's like, we're we're living in the first century, we're Jewish people and and here's Jesus. Jesus is this, this great teacher, he's been drawing crowds because people have been going to see Jesus and then they're getting healed, right? Like you heard about John the Baptist, like you know, people went to him and they got wet, right? Like, they got dunked in the water. Like, he was baptizing people. But, man, people are going to Jesus and they're not just getting wet. Like, I mean, he spits in some of their eyeballs sometimes. That's kind of weird. But, like, then they get to see afterwards, right? Like, like Jesus is doing these impossible things. Like, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's He's teaching these things that really, like, your whole law, your, your whole life, you've been studying the law. You've been told that the law is from God. It's the most important thing, and we have to follow it. And there's over 600 laws that we have to follow, and, and we have to do everything just right to appease our God's anger. And, and yet, here's Jesus, this teacher, who's saying that the law from God is good, but we are misunderstanding it. Because what God wants from us is not to just follow some law, but actually have life with him. So we're we're a Jewish person who, okay, what does this life with God actually look like? You know, I'm in pain, or, or or maybe some of us in the room are, are struggling with a physical ailment, and some of us are sick, and and some of us, you know, some of us have experienced hurt because of what other people have done. Some of us have experienced oppression because of what the government has done. Some of us have been robbed on the way to go see Jesus, right? And so all of us have this understanding that, man. Okay, so this life with God, what Jesus is offering sounds really, really good. But what is it? What is this eternal life with God? How can I have this life? And so really we have this this scribe who's a, you know, we call him... Theologians who who study history and historians call them, like, it's scribe or a lawyer, right? And I I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to talk about lawyers. I don't want to get in trouble. But, like, I mean, this is, again, we're trying to imagine we're in the first century, right? First century. How many of you know how to read? Okay, thank you. I, I saw five hands. I think that's probably a little high, for this day and age, the first century, right? Um, and, and so five, I mean, we've got some pretty smart people here. Probably a couple scribes is my guess because they've been taught how to read and, and they actually, like, they are privileged enough, they actually get to go read Scripture, right? Like most of us, (laughs) we go to the synagogue, and and we sit down, and the scribe comes out. He reads the Scripture, and then we get to talk about it. And then we have to go home, and for the entire next week, we're like, we have to remember what the scribe read to us because we don't have Scripture, but they do at the synagogue. And, And so we can go hear it, but then we have to remember it. So the scribe, these scribes are like these actually smart people who, who, who can read. And not only are, can they read, it's their job, it's their livelihood to read and to study and then to communicate to other people what is written right? And so they're not necessarily like theological teachers, right? there's Those are going to be the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have a theological doctrine that they're teaching to people. They're teaching people a way of life. Whereas scribes are just going to be the ones that are reading and the writing. They're going to be the ones that are writing documents for people of marriage and divorce and, and here's your house and all that stuff, right? So this scribe comes to Jesus. He's read scripture. He's taught other people what scripture says. Maybe, maybe he hasn't tried to give too much theological definition for it, but like he knows what it says. And he comes to Jesus with this question How do I have this eternal life? Now, it's a poignant question. It's an important question because this is what Jesus has been talking about. But it's also in Old Testament scripture. It's in the scriptures that the scribe had read. There's references to this eternal life, this life that is forever with God it, it, in books like Daniel, in, in the prophecies. And, and so we have recognition. This scribe has a recognition of what Jesus is talking about is supported by what has been revealed by God. And he comes to Jesus with this question. This is a really hard thing to understand. God is okay with you asking him a question. And I'll be honest, I've, I've asked God some hard questions before. And I think probably looking around the room, you guys have asked God some hard questions before too. And, and I think God's okay with that. But there's going to be some differences in our heart when we ask God a question. Because the author of this gospel, the person who's telling this good news, this story, he tells us in verse number, where is it? Verse number 29. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus. Wanting to justify himself. Listen, sometimes we can ask the right question, but we're not really listening for the answer. And there's been times in my life when I've asked God the right question, the hard question. I wasn't listening to the answer. It did not matter to me one bit what God said, it wasn't what I wanted. I was asking a question to make myself feel better about how much or how little I had to do. And that's what the scribe is doing. Hey, it's a really, really good question. What can I do to have eternal life? This next question he's going to ask, maybe it's a good question. And there's questions in our life. There's questions I want you to approach God with today. but you have to be willing to listen to his answer. If God is going to speak to you, if God is going to guide you, you have to be willing to listen. And the hard part is is that the scribe wasn't, he wasn't here to listen. He, He was here to trip Jesus up. He was here to make himself feel better about what he wanted to do. So, the scribe asks Jesus, he says, hey, what's, uh, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus asked him, okay, you're a scribe, what does the law say? And the scribe gives an amazing answer. Actually, here's the really cool thing about this. Uh, there's other times where scribes ask Jesus, "What's the most important law? What's the most the most important law in all of Scripture?" And it's the same answer. Like this guy gives the same answer that Jesus gave: to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it means to have life. Now. Again, I talked about theologians earlier. Um, <laughs> theologians are, they're a funny lot, right? Um, they like to really argue this, this passage because they're like, okay, so someone asked how they can have life with God, and Jesus' answer was, okay, well, what does the law say? And the law apparently says to love God and love people, right? Okay, is that how we receive life? Is that that how I come to God because I perfectly and accurately, without fail, love God with all my soul, mind, and heart, and strength, and love people just as much as I love myself? Is that how we approach our God? Is Jesus giving a prescription to us for this is how we can have life? Probably not. Again, recognize the scribe wasn't looking for the answer. Right. The scribe is trying to trip Jesus up. And Jesus is going to point that out. But let me point this out, though, this may not be how we can approach our God. We recognize that the only way that we can approach our God because we have failed. Because we have rebelled against God, we have not loved him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because we have actually not loved other people as much. Because of our pride and, and the pride of our life and the lust of our flesh, we have actually rebelled against God and broken that relationship. And so we can't have this life with God because of our what we call sin, right? Because of this rebellion, because we've chosen things opposite of our God. And so we can't be with God. We can't have this life with God because of our selfishness. But we also know we can approach our God because of the work that Jesus Christ did. That's why we sing about it. That's why we have weird, gory songs about blood, right? Because we recognize that with the shedding of blood, there can be remission of our sins. Because Jesus Christ took our place on the cross, we can approach our God. We can come before the throne of grace boldly because he has paid the penalty of our sin, right? And so we approach our God because of the work that Jesus did. Not because we follow the law. But let me point this out. The heart of our God, life with God, is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving other people just as much as he loves them. This is our life with God. Listen. Life with God does not begin in heaven. Life life with God begins when we love him and when we love others the way that he has taught us to love. This is what it means to live with God. This is eternal life when we actually live according to his heart. Not his laws, not all the rules. Listen, those are important, and if we love God, then we'll follow like him We'll try to be like him. We'll try to honor him. We'll worship him. But the life that we can have with God is marked by loving God and loving people. So the scribe asks, how can we have this life? Jesus says, what does the law say? Well, this life, it's actually marked by loving God and loving people. So then, our first question, First note, if you have your, your little, um, by the way, I don't know the, if I ever announced this. There's, there's sermon notes and announcements on the back table and the front table when you enter. But if you're following along in the notes, the first question, the first point we have is a question, who is my neighbor? Now, it's not the first question in the passage, but it's the first one I want us to look at. Who is my neighbor? See, the scribe asked this question. The next thing there I want you to write down is there's suspicious motives for asking this. Right? The scribe asked trying to justify himself. Like, I I don't want to get, like, too into the weeds on on this, but, like, have you guys ever heard the illustration of, like, you're walking along a cliff and here's sin and here's safety in the road and then, like, you know, how close can you get to the edge right? Like, sometimes, like, I mean, that's, that's the heart of this, this guy's question, okay? So, okay, I have to love God, okay? I I do that pretty well, Jesus. And loving neighbors, okay, well, let's be clear. I just spat at the guy who, like, asked for money, but he wasn't my neighbor, right? Okay, how close? This is how much I have to love people, this much. It's, oh, too far. I, ha, I don't love them anymore. Oh, God, okay, I'm sorry. Okay. I love them. I love people. Who's my neighbor? What's the least amount of love I have to give to have life with God? This is the question we're asking this is, this is what God's love is for us, right? We're supposed to love just like Jesus loved, right? Uh, the book of 1 John is a beautiful expose on that, right? That we're supposed to love just as God loved us, right? And, and, and the passage we read last week, that we are had to have this mind in us that was in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to be just like him, love just like him. And it's, this is how much Jesus loved us. How much do I have to love them? What do I have to do now? Man, when we're asking ourselves how much is enough, guess what? Sorry, it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. It didn't matter what Jesus said. See, sometimes, like, we're looking for the answer. (gasps) How much is enough? That's not God's heart. God's heart is for people and for our heart. God doesn't want us to just do enough. God wants us to actually love him and to love our neighbor. So here's a question. I think this, this, this story of the good Samaritan is answering the question of how can I love my neighbor? How can I serve my neighbor? It's not who is my neighbor. See, Jesus takes it away from like, okay, well, let's, let's draw a line. And Jesus instead says, all right, let's open our eyes and let's, let's actually look around. And let's see what it means to actually love our neighbor. And so we get the story of the Good Samaritan. Now again, let's... Let's put our imagination on. We're in the first century, and we're we're Jews. We're we're living. Uh, it, it's been hard, and and we came to hear about this life with God. And this scribe gets up, and he asks the question you've been asking: How can I have this eternal life? And it's oh well, life with God. It's 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 marked by loving God and and loving people. And well, I love God, and I love some people. So this is exciting. This is this is hopeful. And then Jesus he starts telling the story, you know, and as a Jew, you know it's been hard, right? The Romans have destroyed and conquered well, the Greeks destroyed us and then and then the Romans destroyed them and 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 then there's been all these riots, and there's been all these like forays of fighting and you know everyone's dying but you know we're just making it we're putting our head down and it doesn't matter how many much taxes we have to pay we're just we're just trying to do our best to live this life right you know don't make enemies and you'll be fine right but like man Jesus tells a story about some really well it probably some people think this this is a story that actually happened Right Like the man who gets robbed probably has a name that we don't know. Um, it could be a parable, but whether it's a parable or a real story, I mean this the it, for the people who are hearing this, hearing Jesus tell this story, they're like, "Oh yeah, 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 we've seen that." Right? Like maybe for us it's a little outlandish. When's the last time you we were driving down I-80 and, you know, a, a group of, um, you know, Jesse James and his buddies, they came out and they started like robbing you, right? When's the last time that happened to us? Any, no hands on that one? No? Okay. This is, I don't know how common of an occurrence, but like they say that the road from Jer- Jericho to Jerusalem was fraught with terror. Right? And, th- and this is something that happened. This is, this is not like a, well, back in the day, this, is, this probably happened to people there. This man was robbed. And so we're trying to imagine this. And the first person that Jesus says comes up on the man that was beaten and robbed and left for dead. The first person that comes up is a priest. Yes. Yes. It's a hero one of the good guys, right? Hey, hey. You know, like, this is this is the guy, a priest is one who brings man's petitions to God. He's one that brings our heart and our desires to God. He's one who intercedes for us. He's one who offers sacrifices for us. This is one, like, literally that that should be, like, communing and talking with God. This is one that has given and devoted his life to God. This is a priest. This is one of the, the religious elites of the day. And surely uh, the priest is... Is going to come up on this man and be like, ah, let me help. Priestess, "Eh, I'm going to stay over here. He's over there. I'm over here. Go about my day. (laughs) Okay. How many of you, like, just being honest, You've been walking downtown or you've been walking in the street or maybe you're at Walmart and you see someone walking towards you and you fake check your phone. Oh, I felt the buzz. Break eye contact, move away. Am I the only one who's done that? We raising hands today? Okay. Yeah, I mean, let's just pretend it's not even happening. Oh, that... You know, it's not my job to go over there and help him. I mean, if anyone's job, it might have been the priest, right? Like, uh, you know... they they were kind of the ones that were also the doctors. If you go check the law, right, they're the ones that check the boils and the skin diseases and, like, if you're sick, like, they would be like, hey, go quarantine. Or, I mean, they'd say unclean, right? Like, I mean, they use different verbiage. But, I mean, they were the doctors of the day and and they would go and they would uh, give people, I mean, we say anoint with oil, but, like, I mean, we read in the passage, like, they they use oil to, like, help fix wounds, right? Like, I mean, keep it, you know, moisturized. And and so, like, I mean, they're the doctors of the day and here's Here's a doctor going by a sick person, and he's just like, oh, it's not my job. Not my job. Not my problem. Okay. Still like priests. Not trying to rag on them too bad, you know? Um, kind of sucks. You know, I, I still have to go to the temple to offer my sacrifices. You know, we're imagining the first century, right? Okay, so the first hero of the story, it obviously wasn't the hero. Okay, that's, that, okay. Maybe the next hero, because the next one's a Levite, which I mean, it's pretty close. Okay, let's, let's try to give some distinction, because we recognize that the, the Levites, this tribe of people, they're the ones that were the priests. Not all of them were priests. Like, okay, so maybe the priest, it wasn't his job. Maybe his job was to, you know, offer the sacrifices. Or maybe he's just the temp, the showbread guy. Like, he just goes and moves the bread in the in the temple, right? Like, that's his job, okay? So maybe he's not the doctor. But now this Levite, I mean, well, he's not a priest, so I mean, what else is there? Well, he's got to be one of the, he, he's got to be the doctor, right? This is the doctor. He's gone along. It's his job And and here's the thing about him, maybe he's so curious because he is a doctor, he's like coming up and he's just like, (laughs) broken toe, broken face, broken rib, tough for him, and he moves on. It says he went and he saw him, he looked at him, and then he moved on. you know we i could i could sit here and i don't know that we should because jesus didn't tell us why they didn't help but sometimes like i want to ask that question why didn't they help right like we live in a in a very conscious society, a very moral society sometimes where uh, it's on the the it's dependent on each other to care for your fellow man right like we, we we espouse these views and we think it's a good thing and so it's hard for us to read that the priest and the Levite these good guys you know they're coming up to this man in need and then they don't help and and sometimes, like, you know, we can speculate, well, why didn't they? Is it, were they too busy? Were they on an errand? Did, were they afraid of getting hurt themselves? And, and I, we could go on and on and on. But here's what I want us to do. And instead of me trying to give you all the excuses, I want you to think about the time when you knew there was someone in need, who was someone who was hurt, someone who was weeping, someone who was crying out for help. And you looked... What excuse did you use to walk away? You fill in the blank. I've got a whole list of them. You the guys didn't help, they had too many excuses. Then Jesus says a Samaritan came along. A Samaritan. Ugh. Oh, no. What are they going to do? Like the Samaritans, okay, so I'm a Jew. I'm not. We're imagining, right? I'm a Jew. I follow the law God has spoken, and we do what he tells us to do, and those Samaritans, you know, they they were from the, the, the Jews that didn't stay faithful to God. When they got carried away captive, they got married to Assyrians and, and Greeks and all the other, you know, mishmash of different people, and they're not pure. They're not really Jews. They're, they're half-breeds. They're, they're Samaritans, and not only are they half-breeds, they've made up a whole bunch of rules and laws that don't don't even follow the the Septuagint. They don't even follow the Torah. They don't even follow what God has said. And and they're making up all kinds of stuff. Well, we can worship over here where this cow was made by one of your kings. And and you're just like, what? And so like these half-breeds who've taken what was good and wonderful, given to you by God, they've distorted it. They've spat on it. They've rubbed it in the dirt and they've made it evil. Man, those Samaritans are disgusting. I mean, they're, they're are <laughs> not to get too pointed, I mean, they're the nation's neighbors, right? Like, they live right next to, like, I mean, literally, Israel surrounds them, right? Like, we would have to go all the way around to get to the other side of Israel rather than going through their land, right? And so, like, they're, they're taboo. They're outsiders. They're disgusting, Listen, maybe they're not the bad guys, right? We got the good guys, the priests and the Levites. They're the good guys. And, and we know who the bad guys are. They're the Romans, right? Like those guys are really bad, right? And so maybe the Samaritans aren't bad. They're just the ugly, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? They're gross. They're what we don't like. They're what we don't stop for. Samaritan, ugh. Maybe next time you say the word Samaritan, just say, "ugh." I mean, that's the, it's a physical repulsion we're looking for, right? Samaritan, ugh, Gross. It's the Samaritan who comes along. And he sees the man who's robbed. And he's the one that stops. What's the big difference? What is the big difference between the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan? They both were on the same path. But they both saw what happened, but only one of them did something. And listen, when we're asking these questions, when we're when we're coming to God, and when we're asking what we what do we have to do. Listen, you can come and you can see what needs done, but you actually have to do it. Christians are not those who don't do. Love is an action. Love is something we do. God loved us so much, he gave. What did he give? His own life. You say you love. Where's the action? So we ask the question, how can I love my neighbor? How can I serve my neighbor? Well, number one, there has to be a sensitivity. We actually have to stop and care. I don't know what excuse you have. I don't know if it's not your job. I don't know if you're too busy. I don't know what. Just stop. When you see someone in need, stop. It says in verse number, uh, I believe it's 33, verse number 33, it says, The Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Listen, love for your neighbor doesn't ask, who's my neighbor? Love for your neighbor comes to your neighbor, comes upon anyone, and sees them and has compassion and sympathy and pity and empathy and sees their struggles and their pains and their hurts. We actually have to be willing to stop and, and care. The question isn't, who do I care for? The question might be, who am I caring for? We have to have a sensitivity, but we also have to sacrifice. We have to sacrifice. We have to spend our time, our energy, and even our money to serve our neighbors. What did it cost the Samaritan? I mean, let's think about it. He has to stop. He's, he's going to a destination. He has to stop. He has to inconvenience himself. He has to, he has to get down in the dirt. Get down on his hands and his feet and get the blood on his hands and, and clean the wounds and, and get the grime all over. I mean, we're not, I mean, he didn't just put him in his car, right? Like, I mean, he he's he's addressing his wounds because the next town is still going to be hours away because we walk in, right? Like. I mean, it's going to take so long, and so he has to inconvenience his time. He has to step down, and he has to get his hands dirty. He, has to, he, he uses his own stuff. Right? Like, he takes the man, and instead of him walking on his animal, he puts the wounded man on his animal. And then he, he goes he goes out of his way. He stops at this inn. He has to spend time there. It says that he took care of him there at the inn. And then when he no longer could take care of him, it cost him his money. It, he paid the innkeeper, and he said, I don't care how long this takes. I want to help this man. What did it cost the Samaritan? Well, I mean, there's a cost to it. Actually loving people costs something. And we learn it from our God, right? Cost him his life. We can't say we love our neighbor. We can't say we're serving our neighbor. We can't say we're serving a community if we're not sacrificing our time, our energy, and our money. Lastly, I want to say this. How do we serve our community? It's satisfaction. Let's let's remember, we're talking about the story of the Good Samaritan. But this story was all because of the question, how can I have life with God? I want you to recognize something. We cannot have life with God if we are not loving God our neighbor. We can't. We can say we're doing great and doing wonderful, but when we blind our eyes to those that are in need, we are not showing God's love. We are not living with God. It is not God living through us. That is our selfishness. That is our pride. That is our laziness. serving our community serving neighbors serving each other that brings satisfaction because that's that's God living through us that's God living in us this is the heart of God to love others and so if she makes it up here she can finish finish the sermon name what's her name His name, I'm so sorry. Gray is a neutral color at least. (laughs) Tyler, he's ready. Almost there. (laughs) I have one question for us this week. And it's, you know, I think I have it written on on the sheet. How can I see and care for people, uh, the people around me the way that God does? And this is a personal question for each of us. This is for you to ask, not on Sunday. I want you to ask it on Sunday too. But this is a question we need to be asking when we see someone in need. Am I going to love this person like Jesus loves them? Am I going to serve them like Jesus would serve them? Am I going to be the hands and feet of God in this moment, serving this person? We need to ask this in the hard moments. We need to ask this in the easy moments. We need to ask this and be prepared for when the hard moment comes. But it's also a question we as a, as a church need to be asking. You see, if we if we threw up, can we throw up the, the um, I don't know if we can, the, yeah. Living Hope Church, that first word on there is serve. We want to actually have the love of Jesus pouring through our church. We want to love our community. We want to care for them and serve them the way that Jesus did. We want to do that for each other. We want to do that for, listen, it's, the, the question isn't who is my neighbor. It's wherever I go, am I sharing the love of God? Wherever I go, am I sharing the love of God? Let me pray as the worship team comes. Lord, we love you so much, and we're thankful um, that you do not allow us uh, to stay in the wrong question, but you you lead us and you guide us uh, to see your heart and so Lord, I pray that as we come to you today, as, as we, we've heard you speak, these, this is your story, these are your words to us. Lord, I pray that we would not um, find excuses, that we would not allow the excuses to keep us from loving others the way that you have loved. And we pray that we would lay down and sacrifice everything before you and that the life that we experience with you serving would be a life of contentment and joy and peace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand with us as we sing. uh, You know, this is a time of...